Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. We did the same thing the Richards did. Uh, we went out into the wild, the Foothills Fashion Mall, and I uh, got to experience real Christmas there at the mall. What Christmas is all about panic and terror in people's eyes. That's kind of funny. I, for me, it's, it's kind of fun. I said, let's go to the mall. And, my, and Sue's like, are you serious? I'm going to go to the mall? Why would I want to do that? And our kids are like, yeah. And Ella wanted to see Santa. And so she harassed Santa to no end. <laughs> Poor guy. She wasn't even in line. She's over on the side. And she's like, hi, Santa. Hi, Santa. And he's like, yeah, hi. Are you going to bring presents? Uh, yeah. Going, I want toys. I, I need toys. Okay. Oh, thanks. Bye-bye, little girl. She's like, no, I need toys. <laughs> so I finally had to ex- take her out of there kicking and screaming. It's crazy. It was kind of funny because my, my dad, he, it was classic. Every Christmas Eve, finally I found out this is what, how he shopped. And every Christmas Eve, he'd go to Kmart. There's no Kmart in the blue light special. Well, he was at Kmart Christmas Eve. He's looking at stuff. Well, that'd be good. Oh, that's 90% off. Let's get that. You know, and if it's a good deal, he bought it. And that's, that's what we got for Christmas. <laughs> it's usually something in the blue light special thing. So, so for me, it was kind of cool because you're just hanging out, walking around, see if there's any deals maybe I'll pick up. So picked up some deals. <clears throat> it was kind of good. Well... <laughs> My little story. It doesn't have anything to do with my message, though. So I don't even have a good transition right now. Well, today we're going to talk about... So I'm just going to go. Today we're going to talk about evangelism and being ambassadors. And so I know a lot of times when that, that, that topic comes up, evangelism, people start freaking out. Oh, no. It's going to give us the guilt sermon. I'm not going to feel good because I don't talk to people about Jesus. No, I don't want to do that today, and that's really not the point of the message today is not to guilt and shame us. It's, it's not like evangelism where you think of it. Everyone, you know, has pictures in their mind of evangelism, and here's mine, and I'll just let you know what it is. But I used to think of evangelism as going by myself, and it's dark, and, and I'm scared to death, and I'm going to go knock on someone's door, and then some freak guy like a Gnostic is going to know all these things, and I'm like, I don't know what to say. And I'm freaking out and stuff. No, that's, that's not what evangelism is. And hopefully by the end of the day, you'll see that evangelism is not about us going out like lone rangers. It's really about us as a community of believers going out and reaching our outward community, the community of Windsor and your area of influence for Christ as a community of believers and not as lone rangers. And I believe that, you know, you see the world today and the, the things that are going on. I mean, with the shootings in the, in the church and the YWAM, our church, the local church and, and Christians are under attack like, like never before. And it's just going to get worse and worse. And I mean, in the United States, we see a very small glimpse of it. In the broader church, you just, it's, it's ugly. If you read the Voice of the Martyr magazine, it's just brutal what's happening to believers around the world. Yet today, I believe our greatest hope on this earth is the local church. That God has a master plan of evangelism that centers around the local church, the community of God, the body of Christ. And so you 
take a special role in God's amazing plan to reach this lost and dying world. And today we're going to look at that. This is really about us becoming disciple makers and and really fulfilling that great commission, not as solo people, but as a body of believers together. So we're in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to complete it today. So I hear a little clap. So that's my Christmas present to you guys, so don't say I didn't get you anything. It's your present today. So we've been in chapter 5 for the whole month of December, and then in chapter 5, it's been a great chapter. Uh, we started off by talking about our heavenly body and what heaven's going to be like, and that our outward man is decaying, but that inward man is being renewed day by day. And we went on to talk about walking by faith and not by sight, and then we talked about the, the judgment seat of Christ and how us as believers will not be judged for our sin. And that's such a great encouragement but that we'll be judged for basically our sin-neutral activities, things we do on this planet, in this world, to further the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And we also talked about that our only really visible evidence of our faith is our outward signs, our works, and what we do here on this planet. And so we talked about that what we do here on earth is important to God. And we're going to continue on that theme today. Last week we talked about being motivated for ministry, and we saw how Paul and his companions were motivated for ministry because of God's character. They knew the fear of the Lord, and they revered God in His holiness. They were in awe of God because He is an awesome God. Amen? He's an awesome God. There's none like Him, majestic in holiness, awesome in power, working wonders. We saw that God is motivated for ministry out of His own character, His own character of love, that He loved the world so much that it compelled him to send his one and only son down to earth to become a babe in a manger and to live a perfect life and die a perfect death. And then we talked about Christ's death and that Christ's death really has three purposes. And the first purpose was that he died so that we, believer, would die. That we would die to ourself. That we die to our selfish ways. And there's that great verse Galatians 2:20 that says that we are crucified with Christ and we no longer live but who Christ Christ he lives within us verse 15 reemphasize that it said he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but him who died for them and was raised again and we also saw the next reason why Christ died was he died so that we might live We might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again. So when you put your faith in Christ, you no longer live for yourself. You are no longer your own. You've lost your identity. Christ took your identity. He basically performed identity theft on you. And so unlike a criminal who will perform identity theft on you and take everything you have, he's more like if your parent takes your identity and and pays all your debts off and all your bills. That's what Jesus is like. He'll wipe it clean. We'll talk about that today more. And the final reason why Christ died is so that you can become a new creation, believer. You died with Christ. You live with Christ. And now you're a new creation. And verse 17 is such a powerful verse. It says that, Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is come. 
Believer, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so when I became a believer, I needed to put away the old behavior. I needed to put the old behavior of Danny Evans away and put on the new behavior, the fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us new desires and new loves and new inclinations and new convictions. I remember first when I became a believer, I'd say, oh, let's, I'll watch that movie that I used to watch. And, and so I'd put in an old movie that I used to thought was funny or something. I'd put it in and, yeah, some was funny, but, man, I, things that I thought were funny become crude and inappropriate. And the same went for music. I... I put some music I used to listen to um, in my younger days in, and after I believed I'd put it in, and you know, I guess I didn't really listen to the words when I was younger. And so when I'm older and after I became a new creation, I'm like, wow, that's not good. And, and my mind would start spinning, and I'd start having bad thoughts in my head, and, and it would kind of lead me astray. And so it would bring conviction really in my heart, which I never had before. Well, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about that. In verse 22 through 24, it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, the old Danny Evans was a selfish person concerned only with himself and his own needs and desires. And when I put my faith in Christ, I was given the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And now I, I still live in this flesh suit, but now that I don't fulfill the flesh, I have this power to overcome the, the, the desires of the flesh because of the Holy Spirit within me to come overcome those things. So I used to live for the temporal pleasures of life, and now I seek which is unseen, those things that are eternal, Inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day, being conformed into the image of Christ as God prepares me for my eternal destination. Well, today we're going to talk about the three R's. So when you think of three R's, what do you think about? Yeah, reading, writing, arithmetic. It's kind of funny because not only one of them starts with R. <laughs> Tell you something about our school system, perhaps. <clears throat> so today we're actually going to use real our words and our message today is going to be about reconciliation it's going to be about representatives and it's going to be about righteousness so let's pray lord god i thank you for your word and that it is it convicts us it conforms us it changes us into your image lord i just pray that you get me out of the way and let your word speak today and speak deep into our hearts it would speak through your spirit and it, it, would, it would conform us and change us to your image. Lord, you did an amazing thing. You did an amazing thing. You did what we couldn't do for ourselves. And you came uh, to earth and you reconciled us to God. You reconciled us to the Father. Lord, let us uh, let that truth sink into our lives this morning. Let us, let us be still in the, in the hustle and bustle of of this season that uh, we have very little time to be still and listen to uh, the whisper, the small whisper of God. Lord, I uh, pray you'd speak that whisper into our hearts today, that we would still our hearts and we let you speak in your name. Amen.
All right, if you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 18 and 19. Two verses in our message today is verse 18 and 19. Verse 18 says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So this verse starts off with all these things, the phrase all these things. And this is really pointing back to all of chapter 5. All these things that God has done for us. Through Christ's sacrificial death, he, he did these amazing things for us. And so Paul is pointing back to all these things that God has done, that God initiated this plan of salvation. He completed this plan of salvation. And he's still working this plan of salvation in our lives, that God did this. God did all these things for us. And then we start to talk about reconciliation. In these verses today, you'll see that the word reconciliation or reconcile is used five times. So it's very important that we dig in and, and look at this word today and see what this word means. It's a big word, and it's got actually three different definitions. And so most of the time, you have to look at the context and go, well, what is the context and what definition really fits in the context? Well, this word reconciliation, I think all these definitions fit within the context of what God did and what Christ did through us. And the first one is about finances. First definition is in finances. And in finances, it, can, it means to make one account consistent with another. So if you're in the financial field, you know about reconciling. There's also another word is impute. It's a similar word. It's called impute, and it's used in finances as well. And, and that means to put in one's account. And so when you deposit money in your account, the computer credits that money into your account. It imputes that into your account. And so I, I don't know if you guys have that, the Quicken software for doing budgeting and stuff. So I got this, the Quicken software, and it usually tries to keep track of your checking. And I'm usually, you know, one, two, I don't know, six months behind, something like that. I kind of lose track. And so I try to catch up, and I get all this stuff, and I look, and I, that's my balance. And I look at the screen, that's not right. Oh, well, let's just do the reconcile. This is great because you say, oh, this is what the bank says I have, and that's what I say I have. Well, that's not very good. And you reconcile, and then it just puts money in your account. It's just an awesome thing. <laughs> Fixes it right there. So I love that thing. Now, this, uh, in verse 19, it goes on and it talks about this imputing thing. It says in verse 19, it says, not counting their trespasses against them. And this word counting here is also translated as imputing. Okay? And some of these say that it's, this is basically what Jesus did for us. He imputed. Our account balance was like, you know, a million sins. And he saw it and he said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to take all those sins and, and put them in my account. So I tried to figure a way. I like talking to my kids this week. I said, "Well, Dad, what are what's your 
what's your message on this week? And I said, oh, it's about reconciliation. And I, huh? What was that? I never hear that word. And so I was like, well, how can I explain it to these guys? And, and I thought, well, they're, they're in school now, and they just got their report cards, right? And so that's pretty important, to, what their report card is. And so I thought, well, it's like, it's like getting your report card. <clears throat> and it's like some kid in your class who messed around all semester and all year and just goofed off and didn't pay any attention and didn't do his homework and and just wasn't a very good student. And, and then he came at the end of the year and his teacher sat him down and said, you know, Johnny, you, you, you're going to fail. You're going to fail everything. And Johnny's like, oh, man, he's distraught. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to fail everything. This is not going to be good. My dad's the principal. <laughs> I'm going to explain that to him. And so he's bummed. He's walking around all bummed out. And his best friend comes over and goes, oh, well, Johnny, what's, what's wrong? And I'm going to fail, and they're going to, they're going to hold me back. And his friend's like, ooh, dang, that's, that's a bummer. And his friend, though, is, is, is really smart. In fact, his friend's a, he's getting straight A's. He's, he's diligent. He does all his homework. He never misses a class. Gets A's on all his tests. Extra credit. His whole report card is all A's. And so, because he loves his friend Johnny, he decides to go to the teacher and say, Teacher, you know what? I'd, I'd like to switch report cards. Teacher's like, what? You, you want to switch your report card with who? I want to, I want to switch it with Johnny. He, he's my best friend, and I love him so much, and I don't want him to get held back. And the teacher's like, well, you know Johnny has all Fs. He goes, I know. That's okay. See, that, that's what Jesus did for us. We go through life, and we try to do the best we can in our lives, yet and in Isaiah it says that even our most righteous deeds are a filthy rag to a holy God. No matter what we do, we could be Oprah Winfrey, we could be Bill Gates, we could give charity millions and millions of dollars. And yet, you know what? When we go before holy God, our report card says F. 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 And to sit there before a holy God and look at your report card with all Fs just cause fear and trembling in your heart. As you go before Him and you don't know what to do, there's no way out. And yet we know the judge. We know who He is. He'll come in. He'll take your report card and He'll say, let me look at that. Let's change that. A. A, A, A. See, Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Apart from God, we are failures. There's no way we could reach God on our own, by our own deeds. So he imputed our failure into his account. It's as if Christ himself actually committed our sins. 
I thought about that this week and I thought about my past sin and, and how embarrassing that is. How shameful that is to know the, the sins I committed to think of Christ our Lord actually committing those. And so this week gave me a, a new kind of understanding of when I came against temptation and sin to turn from that, to turn from those things. So when you put your faith in Christ, He reconciles your report card. He imputes it. He takes all your F's and makes them A's. The next definition is that of in relationships. Reconcile can mean restoring friendly relations with someone, as in between a parent and a child, or as in between the husband and wife. And So you often hear people say, well, can we reconcile our differences today? And really that's that's talking about someone trying to restore their relationship, restore friendly relationships. And that's what Jesus did for us. He did that for our relationship with God. See, following the fall of mankind, our relationship with God was in a world of hurt. Right? We'd been created in God's image. We were living in paradise. We were able to live forever. And then all of a sudden, bam! Cursed. Now we had to work to earn a living. We had to sweat to find food. We had pain and childbearing and we got this guy named Satan, this evil being, deceiving us, taking us down. So as a consequence to our disobedience, we became enemies with God and out of fellowship with Him. But Christ, I love that, but Christ, whose death on the cross brought us back into that right relationship with Him. And so Jesus reconciled us or restored us back into a right relationship with God that was started from the beginning, from creation. Another definition from reconciliation can mean change. It says it is to change completely or thoroughly, a 180 degree turn. And this refers to a changed relationship with mankind. We went from being enemies with God to being his friends. It's kind of like Great Britain. You know, Revolutionary War, fighting them, they're our enemy, do do do. Then 150 years later, World War I. And then World War I, we're allies, right? We're their friends and we're fighting with them. And now they're probably their closest ally is Great Britain to the United States. And that's kind of what it's like for God. But God, see, not like the U.S. didn't have to be allies with Great Britain in World War I. We chose to be. And same thing with God. He didn't have to be reconciled to man, but he chose to be. He didn't do anything wrong. It was sinful man that went astray and needed to be reconciled to God. And it was Jesus Christ who did what we were unable to do ourselves. And he lived a perfect life and he, and he died a perfect death. And he rose from the dead. And when that was really that affirmation of God, that Christ's sacrifice was perfect. Now these verses go on and they talk about really what God did for us. Let's look at the verses um, 18 and 19 again. That We see that first he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave it to us, to believers. So in the single greatest act of love the universe has ever seen, God reconciled believers to himself. And he did it at his own expense. So God's a God of second chances. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He rescued us from the pit of hell. 
He reconciled those that, even those people that try to do good works, that try to live a good life. And we know that, that there's no one that's good, not even one. And then the next thing we see is that he committed to us the word of reconciliation. So he gave us the ministry and he committed to us believers the word of reconciliation. This term here, word, is that which we see in John chapter 1. And that's, that's that of truth, the meaning of truth. That the word is Jesus and he became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the word. He's the truth of the gospel. So God, really, what he did, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation and he committed to us the word of reconciliation. So now we have to ask, what are we to do with that? And we see in verse 20 what we're going to do with that. Verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So the next point is about being representatives for Christ. This verse is really our call as Christians. We saw in the verse 18 and 19 what God did for us. So what is our response? Well, because God loved us so much, our response is to become ambassadors. So when you think of ambassadors, what do you think about? I think yeah, usually something pretty nice, right? I Googled in uh, ambassadors this week and typed in ambassadors. And what popped up was Ambassador Hotel, a nice hotel in, in Los Angeles. And an Ambassador Restaurant, a nice five-star gourmet restaurant in San Francisco. There's also an Ambassador Limo that they make in India. So when you think of Ambassador, though, you also think of like a high-ranking official, right? A, a diplomat, someone that represents your country, or you think about an American, a U.S. ambassador, they, they represent the government, the U.S. government, when they go to a foreign country, right? And during the first century, ambassador had a little different connotation, but fairly similar. Uh, in the Roman Empire, there were basically these two provinces. There were senatorial provinces, and there were imperial provinces. And the senatorial provinces were ones that were peaceful, they weren't enemies with it, with the Roman Empire. But there were other provinces that weren't so peaceful. And that was kind of like Israel. And they could break out in rebellion at any time. They were hostile. They did not happy that the Romans came and took them over. And they were hostile to the, to the Roman government. They were in rebellion to the Roman government. Well, Paul and his companions saw themselves as ambassadors. Paul used this term ambassador in Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 6, at the end of the book of Ephesians, he asked for prayer and said, So that utterance may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. See, Paul and his companions were ambassadors. They were ambassadors in a hostile world. He was an ambassador in chains. He was in prison because he went out into the world as an ambassador and they put him in prison. And they were also deemed as foreigners and aliens and not just because they're on mission in a foreign country, but because they put their faith in Christ. See, Jesus became their ruler or king. When they put their faith in Christ, he became their ruler or their king. And, and Jesus, is, we know, is the king of heaven. And so they became servants or citizens of heaven, as it says in Philippians chapter 3. And so as representatives of Christ, they were sent. They were sent to deliver a message of reconciliation to a hostile place. 
And this place was really in rebellion to God. And that place is the world. It's basically an imperial province to God. It's a hostile territory. So believer, you are a representative of Christ. You are an ambassador. So turn to the person next to you and say, hello, ambassador, in their name. Yes, you are ambassadors, guys. You are ambassadors to this world. And that's such an extreme privilege, an extreme privilege to have. I mean, we look at the U.S. ambassadors and ambassadors in the world, and we're like, wow, those are great people. They're always on TV or in the news and stuff. But you, believer, have an extreme privilege as ambassadors to the world and that we can go into hostile territory with a message of reconciliation. And now, how does that get taken in this world? It is, oh, yeah, that's a great message. I love that. Thank you very much. Right? That's how the hostile world takes the message of reconciliation? No. Oh, no. It doesn't at all. It doesn't. When you give that message of reconciliation, it comes across hard. I mean, I was, uh, like I said, we were at the mall this yesterday, and I just go, I'm looking in the mall, and I'm going through some clothes, and all of a sudden, I heard, Jesus Christ. Oh, did I hear Jesus Christ? Oh, my gosh. Well, that's right. It's Christmas, and they actually sometimes might accidentally slip in a Christmas carol that says Jesus Christ. But I'm getting so used to never hearing that, it kind of freaked me out. So I was surprised that they did that. I mean, our world today, they have just deleted Jesus and Christ from Christmas. They have persecuted it over and over again. And they've taken Christ out of Christmas. And that's just plain persecution. And it's going to get worse and worse. And so the church is going to continue to be persecuted. We see that in the third world, and we're going to see it more here in the U.S. And so as ambassadors to this world, we're going to be persecuted. And so we need one another. We're not Lone Ranger ambassadors. We need one another so that when we go out into the hostile territory, we may return back and come together and pray and heal and be encouraged to then go back out and share that, that message of reconciliation with the world again. Paul talks about going out into the hostile world. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. That's where he talked about being citizens of heaven earlier on. But look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 21. Verse 17 says, Join with others in following my example. Brothers, and, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. You can see here that, that Paul really had a heart for the lost. Right? He's, he's in tears about those that have not been reconciled to God. And he says, goes on to talk about the loss. He says, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Isn't that true? Before you knew Christ, your, your, your God was your stomach. You're like, when's the next meal? How can I fulfill myself? It's all about you. It's all about your fleshly desires. How can I fulfill myself? Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Isn't that true? Our sin is definitely our shame. We think it's glory, but it's pride. 
And it turns to be shame when we know Christ and that he actually committed those sins on our behalf. And then their mind is on earthly things. And I just think about that going through the mall. People are running and jostling, trying to get those presents because their happiness is going to be an opening presents on Christmas morning. And so their, their, their joy and their, their mind are set on earthly things, especially this time of year. For our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Amen. That's such a great verse. But that gives us kind of a picture of what it's like to go into the hostile territory and what people that don't know Christ are like and where their mindset is, yet where ours is different. It's set on things above. Now verse 20 goes on to say, God is making an appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. We beg you. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we see here this word appeal. This word appeal here really means to make an urgent request. And I you think about the mother who maybe has lost a child. She appeals to people, right? She gets on the news. I beg you, I appeal to you. Make an urgent request. If you have any information about my child, please let me know. That's kind of the picture we see here with Paul. He's, God is making an appeal through us. That's what God is doing through us. He's appealing to us. He's making an urgent request to us to be reconciled to God. See, each person must make a personal request to God to be reconciled. Each one of us in our own hearts has to go before God and say, you know, God, I have been failure. I've made a mess of my life. And Lord, I accept what you did on the cross for me. And I want to repent and and do a U-turn and and stop living my life for myself and start living for you who died on my behalf and took my sin for me. That's what God's doing. He's He's appealing to us to do that on a personal level. So if you are here today and and you don't know Jesus, You don't understand what he did for you. I hope that message rings clear in your heart today that you will will bow your knee and, and you will say to him, Lord, I can't do it on my own anymore. I need to give my life over to you and stop living for myself and start living for you. It goes on to talk about begging. It's also translated as pray. I pray on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Also, other translations use the word beseech or implore. And we keep seeing that this real desperation here that God, that Paul really has that to, for people to be reconciled to God. And we should have that same desperation in our hearts for those that don't know Christ. We should be begging, imploring, and praying for people. And sometimes I wonder if we really should be begging people to know Christ. You know, sometimes you try to make it the easy road that, oh, please just believe in Jesus. And, and we don't really tell them what it's all about. I mean, it's a big commitment. To be reconciled to God really requires your whole life. It requires total commitment, total sacrifice, 
It requires us to give total control of our lives over to Jesus. See, you are no longer your own. Your finances are no longer your own. Your children are no longer your own. Nothing you have is your own. They're Christ's. They're God's. They were still called by God to beg a hostile world to be reconciled to God. So our response, what is that? This is our response to God because it's really because of what he did for us. That we are to become representatives declaring the message of reconciliation to this hostile world. So what specifically is this message of reconciliation? Well, this next verse tells it like no other in the whole entire Bible. It's probably some of the most succinct, meaningful words in all of Scripture. And that's verse 21. Look at verse 21 with me. It says, He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, God put the wrong on Jesus, who never did anything wrong. So we believers can be made right with God because of Jesus. God the Father made Jesus the Son become a man. While in heaven, the Son took an active role in creation. He, just like a father sends his son off to college or the military, God the Father sent his son Jesus to the earth. And what was his mission? What were his marching orders? Well, to live a perfect life, share the truth of the gospel, the message of reconciliation, and become a sacrifice. To become the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. That's otherwise known as substitutionary atonement. That's a big word, but all it means is Jesus took our place. Jesus took our place. And why did he do this? Well, let's look at the verse. The so that here. The so that is the purpose clause in this verse. So that we may be right with God. We may become the righteousness of God. So the benefit of God imputing or putting our sins into Jesus' account is so believers can be right with God. Look at Philippians chapter 3 again. In verse 9 it says, Not having a righteousness of my own, Paul's talking, he said, I don't have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Though he was a Pharisee and obeyed all the law, he didn't have righteousness. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God is by faith. In this slide, I really put down what Christ did for us. So before Christ, before Christ, we were sinful. Yet after Christ, we were blameless. Before Christ, we are seen as enemies with God. Yet after Christ, we are seen as his friends. We are friends with God. Before Christ, we are seen as unrighteous. After Christ, we are being right with God. Our relationship was restored and we we're seen right with God. Before Christ, we were destined for hell. After Christ, we became citizens of heaven. Before Christ, our report card said all F's. After Christ, it says all A's. Because Jesus paid the full penalty of our sin, God no longer holds it against us. Verse 19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us. Mm -hmm. Psalm 32 says, blessed 
is he whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Can you hear amen? Yeah. See, we experience forgiveness solely because of what Christ did for us. And got a video clip. How many of you guys have seen the Christmas Carol? Probably too many times this time of year. Yeah. Well, my kids have been reading the Christmas Carol in school, which is great. And, you know, many of you guys know the story. You think about it, it's, 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 um, it's not a Christian story, right? I mean, Christ is not the center of the story, but it has a just deep, cool, rich meaning of, of just a lot of the messages of Christ and the gospel and definitely that of, of being a new creation, right? You see uh, Scrooge, and he's a uh, he's a uh, old crotchety man, and he's uh, he's all and he's just mean, and he's all about the world, right? He's he's all about making money, and I mean he he's so hardcore he doesn't even have heat in his own office, and poor old Bob Cratchit is, oh, can you give me a piece of coal? He's freezing to death, and he's like, that's not your coal, it's my coal, you know, snapping at everyone. And we're going to watch in a minute here the clip from the old 1935 movie of The Christmas Carol. And, uh, and I had never seen it until I saw this clip. But this guy's a really good Scrooge. I mean, especially the, the, old, the old Scrooge, man. He's just crotchety as can be. Yeah, it's so cool to watch. And you'll see in this video that how he transitions from that old self, living for himself and his old selfish desires, and he becomes that new creation. He goes from scowl on the face to, to smile and joy. You know, and, and to look for Christian themes in there, and they're just all over the Christmas carol. And just to see how uh, his nephew, his nephew comes in at one point and he says, Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. And how he, he in, in the actual movie, how he actually talks about inviting him to Christmas dinner and, and really reaching out to his poor old Uncle Scrooge. And you know, Hopefully, Lord willing, those are the believers that are praying for poor old Scrooge to change his ways. And, and uh, though he goes through, obviously, in the night and has the three ghosts, uh, that was Charles Dickens. But you know that the real transformation can only happen by Christ and him knowing the true Christ of Christmas. And so we'll look, watch this today. But as we, as we finish out, I just want you to just think about you know, that's, that's Scrooge. That's his grace story, how he transformed. And think about your grace story, how you were transformed from the old creation to the new creation. How not to, not to keep that silent, but to, to use that, the, to declare that message of reconciliation. At this time of Christmas, this time we meet with so many people all the time. And so to always think about that. And so next year, we're, we're going, you know, last year we did the great giveaway, and we gave away a lot of money. Well, this year, we're, we're not going to do that again, but we set aside money for, for us to, to do outreach. So if you want to do outreach, don't ever let money be an issue to you guys. And I really encourage us to do that in community, to not try to be a lone ranger all the time. To Maybe you are reaching out to someone at work, but to... Always include that when you go into community group or where you are to pray, to pray for those people and to do it maybe in community in your neighborhoods and stuff. How can we reach out to our, 
the community at large, the community of Windsor, using this community. And so that's, that's really our, our, the message today. So let's watch that video clip again, man. May I inquire, Mr. Cratchit, what you're doing with that shovel full of coal? I beg your pardon, sir, but the outer office is intensely cold, and my fire... No, no, your fire. I should have said your fire, sir. Yes, sir. Some few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy the poor of London meat and drink and means of warmth. We choose this time because this is the time of all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. Now, what shall I put you down for? Nothing. What's Christmas time to you, sir? The time for paying bills without money. Time for finding yourself a year older? <laughs> Not a penny of it. If I had my way, sir... Every fool who goes about saying Merry Christmas will be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a steak of olive to his heart. He should. Uncle! Nephew, you keep Christmas your way. Let me keep it in mind. Keep it? But you don't keep well, it. Well, let me leave it alone then. I was your partner, Jacob Marley. You were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business. Mankind would have been my business. Charity, forbearance, benevolence, all were my business, as they should be yours. I am the spirit of Christmas past. I am here to show you the things that have been. Mr. Scrooge, I beg of you. Good You can't do this. You can't be so unjust. Give us a little more time. A week. Please. I am the ghost. A Christmas present. Up, you get tiny, Tim. Did he hook? that the people in the church saw him because he was a cripple. And that it might be pleasant for them to remember upon a Christmas day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. A very Christmas to us all, my dear. God blesses everyone. Tell me that Tiny Tim will live. If these shadows remain unaltered in the future, the child will die. Ghost of the future, I fear you more. Ebenezer Scrooge! No, spirit, no. I'll not be the man I was. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live. In the past, the present, and the future, all heaven and Christmas time be pleased for this. Will you let me in, Fred? Why, it's Uncle Scrooge. Can't be. Will I? A Merry Christmas to you, Uncle. Come in. Come in and join us. 
What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? I'm very sorry, sir. I'm going to raise your salary. God bless us all. God bless us everyone. to see him there at the end and how he goes to the Scrooge goes to church. I don't think you see that in the modern ones at all. It's in the old one there. Scrooge goes to church and he and he sings Hark the Herald Angels Sing and we're gonna sing that right now and so worship team can come on forward. But to think about the message of reconciliation and that's what God did for us. He reconciled man to God. And that's in these words that God and sinners are reconciled. And so we're going to sing that together. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for this service, Lord, and thank you for doing what you did for us and reconciling um, us, us sinners, and uh, imputing our, our report card that was all F's and taking that upon yourself and making it all A's. Lord, thank you that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You rescued us out of the pit of hell and and you brought us out to heaven. Lord, let us that that amazing message that he who knew no sin, Jesus knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf. There's no greater love than that, Lord. Lord, let that message dwell richly within us today as we go forth and the last few days before Christmas and New Year's, that, that that message of reconciliation would ring true in our hearts. And I pray these things in your precious name. Amen.